Welcome to this week's podcast on Simple Church, where we are trying our best to make complex situations, complex problems a little bit simpler to understand. So on today's podcast, it might be a little bit long today, not real sure. We're just going to go until it doesn't go anymore, but we're going to talk about something that's a little bit controversial, and that thing is Sunday, Sunday morning church service type thought process. So God called me into ministry 25 years ago, and I've been trying ever since to serve him. And after planting a church and watching it grow over the years, God began to show me things. And like the things he would show me are that when we first got started, we had a small group of people for a very long time. And I got to see so many things things happen in people's lives with that small group of people. But of course, I was just like everybody else as a church planner, we want to be successful and I wanted to see success. And so what, you know, I noticed during that time was how small it was. I didn't notice all the wonderful things that were taking place, all of the lives that were being changed, but instead I wanted it to be bigger. I wanted it to be more successful. And so we began to do things to get people uh, involved. We began to do things to get more people. We eventually moved into a bigger building and steadily wanting to grow the church. Well, I'm telling you, we grew the church. Um, it was the largest church in the county. Still, uh, I believe, might be the largest church in our county. It, it was reaching people that nobody else seemed to be reaching at the time. And it, it just really blew up. And what's sad is that I couldn't or wouldn't, is probably a better way to say it, see the things that God was doing until it was too late. Like now when I look back on those things and I think, man, how could I have missed that wonderful, wonderful moment that God had for us to get to see people's lives truly changed and be discipled. And so... That's kind of what I want to talk about today, and we're going to talk about something called a Sunday morning-centric church. Now, basically, that's every church. Uh, There are very few churches out there that are not Sunday morning-centric churches, okay? Now, Sunday morning-centric basically means this. The whole thought process of their mission, the whole engagement process with the community, the whole you know, while we are here, what we spend the most time on, where our resources are going, generally is Sunday morning. You ask any pastor what he's looking for and what he's preparing for all week, most of them will say Sunday morning. Okay, and that's basically a Sunday-centric church. Now, if you go to a local church somewhere or you're in church anywhere, more than likely there's an uh, avenue of the church it's Sunday-centric. Now, I understand that there are exceptions to every rule, and there's probably not everybody is Sunday-centric, but what I can tell you is that the most churches that I've been in are Sunday-centric churches, okay? So let me explain to you how I believe this came about, okay? So Sunday morning-centric churches, it's really evolved extremely in the past 25 years or so. Um, Used to, you would go to church, and you would sing hymns, You'd listen to preaching, live for Jesus after, right? And there are still so many of those churches today where you basically go into the small country church or wherever there are the pews, you sit down, you listen to the worship, you sing. It's not very lively, um, but you sing, and you sing probably the same songs over and over. Um, 
and then you go into the preaching time. After the preaching time, there is a um, invitation, and then possibly some announcements or something like that. And it just repeats over and over and over. You can pretty much predict this is the way church is going to go down. Okay, so the unchurched population began to grow. In other words, people that said, "You know what? I'm not really into that, or I've been hurt by that, or I don't get anything out of that." And so. As a country, especially in the United States, we begin to see the unchurched population outpace the church population. Okay? And so church attendance was on the decline, right? But the unchurched people that did not go to church was on the incline. And so we started problem solving in order to fix it. And what answer did we come up with? Make Sunday mornings better to get more people to come. And this spread like a wildfire. I mean, it was, you, you think about all the things that took place during this time, and this is where new styles of worship, uh, we even had a series of events throughout the years that, that led to something called worship wars. In other words, churches were splitting and having problems and, and not finding unity because they wanted to change their worship services. So we had new styles of worship, even larger uh, pr- production of the worship, wanted to make Sunday more exciting to change it up. And and I'm here to tell you right now, all these things that I'm telling you, I was the a champion for, okay? This is why our church grew in the way it did. There was no other churches at the time uh, in our denomination, in our area, that did what we did in worship. And so we brought a bunch of people in. There was also another movement during that time called the seeker-sensitive service. This was a service that was not churchy at all, extremely relevant. Any unbeliever could come in and they could get something out of it. We're not pushy. We're not doing these sorts of things. And a lot of people saw this as the watering down of the gospel, but some people, you know, got into a place where they was like, it doesn't matter if the gospel is there or not, or it doesn't matter how deep we go in the Bible. It doesn't matter how well we disciple. We want more people to come in that are unbelievers so that they can hear about Jesus and see Jesus in us, okay? And so what happened is that, you know, people started coming. And then there was an influx of a large presence of church growth strategies and strategists and books and seminars. How do you grow your church? In other words, this is that problem-solving thought process. How do we get more people to come okay so I've dealt with church planters for a long time I was the director of a church planting network for about four years a part of it for about seven years and dealt with hundreds of church planters and walking with church planters in the early stages of church and it's so funny that a church planter that we I saw many many times is that they always wanted a building that was the very first thing they started looking for right and part of that is because we've change the word church instead of a gathering of people it's a building that we go to okay and so they wanted a building why did they want a building so bad so they could begin the attraction production as soon as possible to build up their attendance okay so what we're saying is is that we have a lot of churches out there that are gearing up their entire being to be attractional to a community that is not engaging in the church. And so what they're trying to do is make the church look good so people will come in. Well, that worked when people were looking. 
when people were church shopping, that worked. Well, we live in a generation now, uh, especially Generation Z millennials that don't want to go to church, don't care about going to church. Okay, so they don't care how good you make it look. All right? And so because of this, we began this attractional thought process of let's get everything geared around Sunday morning. Now, the first thing I want to say before I continue was is that I do not believe church, Sunday morning church, is a bad thing. All right? I am not anti-corporate worship service. I love it. I think it has its place. I think that, that church is vital. Attending church is vital. Uh, for a person's growth in Christ. But what I'm telling you is, is when I say Sunday-centric, it's basically that's it. That's what everybody's expected to do. That is the expectation. That is the bar that has been set is that you come to church, you experience the worship service, okay? And that's what I think is not really the best idea, okay? Let me tell you why. Our goal over the past 25 years, and probably before that, but this is the only experience that I have, our goal has been to feel buildings. And note, this is, you know, it's in the form of conversion, but that's not what's happening in many places. In other words, if somebody says our church is growing, a lot of times we like to pretend that it's in lost people coming to know Christ. And in some instances it is. But the vast majority of churches that we see this happening are not doing that. They're basically just bringing in people from other churches or they got a better look about them, so people want to be more involved in that type of church. And you know, if you've been in church or maybe you've done this or you're a pastor in a church, you know this is the situation. You might not want to admit it, but you know it's the situation. Okay? So let me ask you this. Have you ever thought if we could get a better preacher, our church could grow? And when I say grow, I basically mean more tenders, having to build, whatever it is, okay, more money, whatever your, your level of success is. If we could contemporize our worship style, more people would come. Well, you'd be right. More people would come. But what do you have? And if this is kind of your thought process, is if there's something you can do inside the church to cause more people from the outside to come in, then you are Sunday-centric, okay? You're Sunday-centric. In other words, that's all your eggs are in that basket. But this is where I want to throw kind of a wrench in things, okay? The Great Commission, it's found in Matthew 28, 19, says this, Go therefore and make disciples, most of us know this verse, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 says, Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you, to the end of the age, all right? So when we look at this verse, this is, this is verses hinges a lot of people's mission statement, right? We want to be the Great Commission. That's what we want to go there for and make what? Converts? No. Attenders? No. Not even servants. People that work in the church. He says this, go therefore and make disciples. Now, disciple, a better word for that is a word called apprenticeship to Jesus. So basically somebody that follows Jesus, thinks like Jesus, does what Jesus does, and moves forward and has a deep, fascinating relationship with Christ. That's a disciple, and that's what we're called to make. 
We're not called to make more church attenders, more converts, which I know converts, you've got to have a convert if you're going to have a disciple, but that's not where it ends. We have to go more and more into our faith to dig deeper to figure out what it takes to be a disciple. Now, I want to tell you this. I listened to a podcast the other day, um, a guy named Kerry Newhoff, and, and if you're a big-time podcast listener or church leadership listener, um, this guy's podcast is great. He had a guest on there that I'd never heard, and one of my friends, uh, one of my brothers uh, in Christ, Brian Tillman, told me to watch this guy named John Mark Comer. And so I did. I watched Kerry Newhoff interview John Mark Comer. Now, this guy, and this is no joke, this guy had read my mail. I mean, everything that I've been feeling over the past six months, everything that's led me to do the things that I'm doing now, it was so affirming to hear him say the same things over and over and over. And so in the rest of this podcast, I'm going to be quoting him some, and I'm going to uh, put my own spin on some of the things. So if you're listening to that podcast and you go, well, that's what Paul said. Well, yeah, Paul ripped it off. Um, uh, he did. But it's basically I feel the same way, and I think it needs to be pushed forward. So in this podcast, he talks about a book, okay? And the book is by... Um, Hamburg and Gulick. It's a it's an academic book. It's called um, the Critical Journey. So just to let you know, it's basically the six stages of discipleship. It's a really really good book. I read the whole book before I did this podcast. Okay, it took me about two days. It's a phenomenal book. It's a fascinating book, and it echoes so much of what God's been telling me over the past few weeks. Okay, and so basically what they say in church world that there are in faith world that there is six stages of discipleship all right and this is all going to come around so just kind of hang with me all right number one the very first stage is the recognition of god now this is that all moment where you see god you find god for many people it's salvation right it's that coming alive to say you know what god is there god is for me god's got a plan for me and God, you know, Jesus died on a cross for me, and I am going to commit my life. It's that recognition of God, right? So you go from somebody that is basically living for the world, living how they want to live, and then they recognize that there is a God. They recognize what God has done for them, commit their life to that, and they begin to think in God ways, right? Things start to change. This is the very first stage. So the second stage of discipleship is basic discipleship now basically this is where the person that recognizes god begins to get into some sort of community a lot of times it's a large community just like the church and, and they begin to live out and learn basic things about discipleship and like praying how to read your bible why to read your bible what what not to do what to do right and so they begin to learn of the deeper things of god uh, as they grow as a christian all right and from there, we have the productive life, right? That's the third stage. Now, this is where, and you'll see this if you look at a, 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 a discipleship system of many churches have this. Basically, our goal is that you go from needing help to being a help. In other words, you, you go from a place of, okay, I was on the street and now I'm serving somewhere in the church, right? I, I, I'm, I'm using... Uh, my discipleship and what God has done in my life, and I'm serving somewhere. Now, a lot of times uh, that's in church. 
could be somewhere else, but it's a lot of times it's in church. Maybe it's children's ministry or worship ministry or greeters or whatever it is, but you are serving. Now, the problem is if you will look at the stages of discipleship and where church is today, this is where most people peak out in church. And think about it. Maybe you're one of those people that you've, You've recognized God. You got saved. You got basic discipleship, basic information passed on, knowledge of the Bible. Uh, you you learned how to pray in other disciplines. You learned how to worship in other disciplines, and then you began to serve. And that's kind of where you ended up. Okay. So stage four is very very important. It's called the inward journey. Now the inward journey, uh, according to Hetberg and Gulick, is that that moment in life when you begin to really question things. Like it's not enough just to hear somebody else talk about it. You are starting to search yourself, search who you are, okay? And in this stage, a lot of times there is a wall, okay? And that wall could be something like a tragedy or a trauma or just horrible circumstances, a major failure, something that causes you to rethink everything. It's that moment in your life where your faith does not work for you. We're not this happy-go-lucky church-going service, right? We have a marriage that's ending. Something's wrong. And so what that does is it causes you to do one of two things. You either journey inward to, to heal yourself or you bail. Okay? And so you have the inward journey, all right? which a lot of times has the wall. And then after you come through that, you have what's known as the outward journey. This is where you begin to truly get your faith where it needs to be. This is where you begin to truly get your faith on fire for God. And, and it becomes something It's not about your, um, your service, it's not about how often you go to church, it's just you and God. Now you, you're recognizing that this is God's life and you're living in it, right? It's no longer you, it's God that's doing it. And this is a place that is so, so powerful. And I, I, I guess that I've been through five or I'm in five right now because what it does is it causes you to say, I don't care what anybody else says, I want to know what God says. I don't care what the cultural norm is. I want to know what God says, and I'm going to search, and I'm going to seek, and I'm going to find him with everything that I've got. And it's going to just take over my life. And then that last stage, stage six, and this is my favorite, is the life of love. This is where your transformation is near completion. Now, you know people that have been in this stage. You ever met somebody that you just love to be around, that they just, you know, the love just came off of them. I met a guy years ago named Richard Hedrick. He's uh, passed away to be with the Lord. But I sat with him in his office, and I'm going to tell you something. I didn't want to leave. I just wanted to be there. He was so non-self, unselfish. He was so just, you just wanted to be in his presence. Why? Because it was so much love. And I can tell that he knew who he was. He knew who God was. And it didn't matter what anybody else said or did. He was going to follow Jesus Christ. And he just lived that out in such love and peace. And you can tell this guy was a multimillionaire. But success didn't matter. 
And that's the place I want to be. I want to be in a place in my life where success doesn't matter. It's all about Jesus, and Jesus truly has everything. He controls it all. It's so important that we recognize this. So there are six stages of discipleship. Now, this is where I want to bring this around to you, okay? Sunday-centric churches can only get you to stage three. And you've seen this. If you will look at your church, you have to admit there is a discipleship thought process that ends on serve. Once you're serving somebody, once you're leading somebody, then that's as deep as you go. And so we begin this thing where you see children's workers who are not growing anymore spiritually. They kind of get in a rut. Or you see somebody in worship that just does their thing, right? They get up, they play, they've learned to read their Bible, they know how important prayer is, and they just come to church every Sunday, they get up and they do their thing. Well, that's what Sunday-centric churches do, okay? The inward journey, right, which is, you know, stage four, can only be nurtured through deep conversation and relationships. What I'm saying basically is this. Discipleship can only be taken so far in a corporate setting. To have the fullness of discipleship in your life, focusing on smaller communities is a must. Most pastors and even believers recognize this need, but sometimes they struggle on how to implement a focus on smaller communities. You need people in your life that are going to, like we said in the last two podcasts, podcasts, somebody that you can confess to, somebody that will disciple you and hold you accountable, somebody that will speak into your life and that you can explore the deeper things of Jesus the more life-centric things of Christ. And no, I'm not being a mystic when I say things like that. I'm telling y'all, there is a deeper relationship with Jesus out there. And I'm, we've got to figure out how to do it. And most pastors believe this, right? I know the pastors that I've worked with in the past know they need to get people in small groups. That's where it's at. They need to get people in smaller communities. I don't have all the answers, to how to do that, but I can say that I believe you cannot change to a culture of small communities through the means of corporate processes. Let me explain. How do people get involved in small groups? Well, many churches believe the best way is to throw a net and see who they can catch. Now, you've seen this, right? This is sign-up list, uh, small group expos, where you get to visit all the different small group leaders, or maybe you announce it behind the pulpit, or... You just send out a mass push in your app or Facebook or whatever. Get involved in small groups, and you're just throwing a big net, right? And that's a problem, but this is the fastest way to reach people, right? But you noticed that hasn't solved the problem. It has not solved the problem. We are still struggling with the small group animal, right? The getting people in smaller groups. Why is the need there? Because... You need people to go deeper into their faith, all right? And so we've got this conundrum that we're in where we are steady amping up Sunday morning and trying our hardest to get people to leave that amped up thing and go into a smaller group. So you can see where it kind of runs past each other, right? You can't compel someone corporately to change individually. This is, this is a big thing, okay? That's like trying to convince somebody to ride a bicycle by driving them around in a car. 
it does not work. And this is why people who are active in small communities value their small community. Okay. There's not a need in their heart. There's not a thought process because we've told them for years and years and years, all you got to do is show up to church, be a part of the worship service, end up serving. You're in a good place. Okay. And we're so excited. As a matter of fact, you won't get a call from us until you start missing church. (laughs) Right. That's what we've set up. Okay. You have to spread the value, not just spread the word. What I mean by spread the word is not the Bible. I mean, like tell people about it. You've got to spread the value of it. Okay. And the problem is for our corporate success model in church, we don't chase this because it takes too long. But this is the truth. And I want you to hear this culture does not change by one person influencing hundreds. But instead, one person influencing two, who then influences two, and so on and so on. But this takes too long. But there's a truth out there, and I I really want you to grasp this truth. The truth is this. If you have plateaued in your faith, or even bailed, right? You hit the wall that difficult time and you didn't have anybody to help walk you through it. You just came to church over and over and over and you plateaued. Don't you want more? Well, more than likely you've reached that wall and you've peaked out at stage three and you're desiring more, but you don't know where to find it. If you want more, if you want that deeper thought process of Jesus. If you want more of him, then you've got to start thinking less. Not hinging everything on a church service that lasts one hour or more, but instead begin finding the person in your life that you can explore deeper truths and navigate faith continually. If you're happy with your life and you're satisfied In other words, you've been doing this for years. You've been doing exactly what I've talked about for years, and you're okay with that. You're stuck in the stage. But this is what I want to tell you. There's more. And let me tell you about me. I wanted more. I've done the church thing all my life. And once again, just to reiterate, I am not against church. I think church is a necessity I think gathering together is a necessity but I'm telling you it can only take you so far without smaller groups of people that are in your life that you can have an intimate conversation with and walk you forward in your faith but there comes a point in every Christian's life where they've heard the same sermon 15 times and yeah, the pastor's going to try to put a different spin on it, but it's just not taking us to that next level. And so every Sunday we go expecting something to happen, but yeah, we know these stories. We know these principles. We've been taught this, many of us, all our lives. So how do we get more? And that's what I wanted. And so I've got five guys that I pour into, and I've got five that pour into me. And I'm going to tell you something. I can have honest conversations with these men and say, look, I'm doubting things or I'm I'm wondering why this is. Are we wrong here? Or just 
to go through things. A lot of times they'll explain, no, we're not wrong. This is why you feel this way. Well, praise the Lord, but finding out more truth in a more difficult environment, that is where true discipleship lies. That is where you start to really break out. But I do recognize there are some people that are not wanting anymore. They kind of like where they're at. So I'm going to give you this statement, all right? Your ability to succeed is based solely on your definition of success. Your ability to succeed is based solely on your definition of success. If this is all you want, and this is what you consider, you know, success, and congratulations, you got it. But if you're looking for something more, then break out of the Sunday-centric thought processes and get into a small group. Or find brothers and sisters who will mentor you and walk with you through your life. Ask yourself this, how many people do I have in my life that walk with me spiritually, that navigate difficult times with me, and will never let me be satisfied? Now, once you've done that, if you don't have anybody like that, you're not being discipled. You're serving an organization, not a savior. So what I'm telling you about this, if you're a pastor and you're hearing this, or maybe just a very active church member, do not get caught up in Sunday morning as the only way and the only thing. Put just as much value in having people influence others in a smaller environment. And what's the best way to start this? It's very, very simple. Find somebody to influence you. Find somebody that can walk with you in life, that you can ask difficult questions to. And pastors, this is very difficult for you. And the reason why is you're the one that's always got the answers. You need to find somebody that knows more than you do. And just navigate life with them. That's where true discipleship is because we all want to get to this place where we are, we have an outpouring of love in our life. We're living that. We have a peace. We have a joy way down in our heart. And we're so thankful of what all God's done in our life. And we just kind of live out loving God in everything. You know people that have made it here. You know people that are like this. And I'm here to tell you right now, they did more than just go to church on a Sunday morning. I hope you've enjoyed this message. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Um, remember, we want you to follow, subscribe, do whatever you can, share it with your friends. We have had a phenomenal month uh, in January. It just have blown my mind at how successful this has been. Uh, I'm very thankful for your support in that. Um, but I want to tell you, it's not as important that you just sit and you listen to a podcast but you really start to look inside and you really start to say, what is really my definition of success in discipleship? Do I want more? And then act on it. But remember, above all things, keep it simple. <laughs>